Welcome to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. I'm Christine Grimmett, and my guests here will be covering the Geneva Consensus Declaration. What is the ultimate goal? What are the challenges we're facing? And uh, what have the results been so far? And here at Heartbeat International, our goal is to make sure that all women have access to help when they need it and where they need it. I'm so excited to be able to say that statistics show that now over 4,500 lives have been saved through the Abortion Pill Rescue Network, which is powered by Heartbeat International. That's 4,500 moms that changed their minds after starting a chemical abortion, contacted the network, and were connected to medical professionals that were ready to help save those babies. If you'd like to be part of what that network is doing, visit aprnworldwide.com. My colleague, Ellen Fell, our international specialist here at Heartbeat International, is along uh, with me with Valerie Huber, who is president and CEO of the Institute for Women's Health. And these ladies are both doing amazing work around the world. So let's get started with better understanding uh, what the Geneva Consensus Declaration is and how it affects the pregnancy health movement. Well, good morning, Christine and Valerie. It's a joy to be here. And Christine, thank you also for what you do to uh, help us uh, in our different positions to hold out the word of life around the world. Uh, Valerie, welcome. It is a joy to see you slash be with you again. Um, can you just tell our audience, I know that you uh, have already been um, interviewed with Pregnancy Help News, but we're going to take a little bit of a different tack uh, this time. Tell us, though, a little bit about yourself, um, the women, the Institute for Women's Health, and how that the genesis of that organization. Such good questions, and Christine and Ellen, such a pleasure to be with you today, talking about what I'm passionate about, and that is authentic health and thriving for women and girls across every stage of life. You know, we started the Institute for Women's Health um, really as a result of what I saw as special representative for global women's health for the U.S. government just a few years ago. And it may not surprise you, but it might surprise some of your listeners that when we talk about women's health, almost without exception, it becomes a debate over abortion, not women's health. And I saw that in the international stage, and I know you probably see that as well, Ellen. And um, despite the fact that my representing the U.S. government, um, we wanted to negotiate in the international settings for meeting those needs that women and girls have, particularly in the developing world. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. There are women as we speak needlessly dying or suffering lifelong consequences of totally preventable conditions that are not only totally preventable, but inexpensive to do so. That if the foreign assistance of the United States and the European Union and Canada and other countries that provide foreign assistance would focus on the main thing, which is saving and improving the lives of women and girls, they wouldn't have to be in the situation they are right now. But instead, the, the debate turns over abortion, and then it becomes a cudgel to force or pressure countries to change their laws if they want to defend the integrity and value of every life. Um, so Valerie, the, yeah, I'm sorry. I no. have to interrupt you for just a minute because you, you've just opened up like, 
the Pandora's box in your, what you just said, because you talked about how the, the debate on women's health actually narrows to only abortion. And yet, so the Institute for Women's Health isn't just a uh, pro-life, if you will, if you think about it in terms of pro-abortion versus pro-life, but the Institute for Women's Health is so much more than just looking out about pro-life. Can you just tell us a little bit about some of the other needs that you have observed for women to really advance women's health and how the Institute goes beyond just the debate? Well, I'm really glad that you interrupted me, Ellen, because you brought up a point that I think is really important for those who are joining us to to consider. Uh, The Institute for Women's Health is not a pro-life organization. We believe in the dignity and the value of every single life beginning in the first thousand days, which by the way, is at conception, Um, but through every stage of life, not just the reproductive years either. Um, We learned, Ellen, after beginning the Institute for Women's Health, that we are the only women's health policy organization of our kind anywhere in the United States. Now think about that. How many organizations have women or women's health in their title? And yet they're a front organization for pushing abortion. Something is wrong with this narrative, with the priorities. And really what it reduces to is organizations and advocates using women for their ideological agendas. Wow, that is uh, quite amazing. And it's it's amazing that... um the Institute uh, continues on in the broader mission uh, in spite of probably what our efforts to narrow your mission by those who uh, might see it as opposing uh, their own agenda. Um, All right, so let's go back to what you were saying earlier and um, tell us about uh, the the Geneva Consensus Declaration. What? How did that all start? Well, it really was born out of uh, conversations that I just kind of hinted at earlier, and that was conversations that I had on behalf of the U.S. government to well known, well known, influential, and well funded countries and organizations like the European Union and like other countries in what we call the Global North that provide foreign assistance. I really thought that uh, we were offering a reasonable compromise to what I saw as an an endless uh, effort to co-opt women's health for abortion. And the compromise I proposed was pretty simple, but it was this, we all provide foreign assistance, let's work together to solve those most pressing needs. And it's pretty easy to identify what they are look at the countries where we're providing foreign assistance. And if we made the priority solving those health conditions and preventing them, this this would be a game game changer for millions of women around the world every year. Uh, But the condition was we have to leave abortion off the table. Uh, It's up to the countries to decide what to do that. Countries in Europe and our own country, the United States of America, doesn't want another country telling us 
what to do with our abortion laws. Now, we might have very strong and even diverse opinions uh, from European Union countries versus us here in the podcast or, or listening to it, but it's up to our country to make those decisions at, at whatever level is um, that ability is at uh, in those countries. It's not up to a United Nations organization or other countries to pressure it. So I thought it was a reasonable compromise that I proposed and not a single country or group of countries would agree to that compromise. Well, based on that, uh, I knew it was important to use the influence of the U.S. government for good. And so we contacted other nations that are were like-minded, wanting to see authentic advancements made for women and girls uh, that wanted to assert unequivocally, depend, um, regardless of, of the differences in our abortion laws, that there is no international right to abortion. Uh, to assert the family as foundational to society, and by the way, is not only essential to the continuation and flourishing of society, but also contributes immensely to the health and thriving for women and girls. And then fourth, to defend the sovereign right of countries to legislate on those ab above uh, three other priorities, according to their national policies to their cultural and religious traditions, et cetera, et cetera. That became the Geneva Consensus Declaration. We negotiated that declaration with regional leaders representing every region of, of the world uh, so that we could have a document that it didn't matter where you lived, that we would agree on these foundational principles. Uh, and today there are 36 countries representing those regions of the world that are saying it doesn't matter where we are right now, we commit to improve health and thriving for uh, women, regardless of their age, that we are going to stay and that we're going to stand together asserting abortion is not a human right. It's not an international human right. And we defend our own sovereignty in that regard. And then, of course, also uh, supporting the family. That's, founda that's foundational. It's also historic because a coalition like this has never existed before. That You, you have um, really given us a beautiful uh, in introduction, if, it were, if, if, if I can say it that way, to the uh, Geneva Consensus Declaration. So you've, you've said there are four basic tenets. And I, I want to just make sure that our hearers um, know exactly what the tenets are. One of them is, what's the first one is? The, the first one is, the, and these are commitments that are made within this declaration for this coalition that was formed as a result of signing this declaration. The first is okay. uh, to promote the improvement of health and thriving for women and girls. Sounds very neutral and very reasonable exactly. and very attainable, really, when exactly. you are talking about the, the, frankly, the wealth of the collective world. Uh, all right. And the second one is? The second one is there is no international right to abortion. All right. Now, let's, you are uh, addressing something that um, is raging really across the media, that there is this international right. Tell us, 
and you, as you have looked at, and I think if I understand the GCD correctly, you've looked at the documents of the United Nations. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I'm glad you brought uh, something up that I'm, uh, you know, the questions, we never talked about it, but you know, the questions that are really important for people to understand regarding to the, the Geneva Consensus Declaration or the GCD. It's almost entirely comprised of quotes from consensus documents uh, passed at mostly at the United Nations that all the member countries agreed to. So that means there really shouldn't be uh, a debate over the, the content of the, of the GCD at all, uh, because countries have already um, agreed to these pieces with, with very few exceptions. Uh, the only new language are the is the language in the commitment section where countries then are agreeing to do things based on those quotes from seminal documents uh, agreed to as long ago as 1945. That's amazing. I mean, it's it's really amazing when you think that for 80 years countries have already been in agreement with these statements and. Yet there is this um, this this public outcry for what actually does not even exist. Well, and what's so crazy, Alan, and I'm sure you um, have thought about this before, but most people in the U.S. Um, are rightfully so very focused on domestic policy, uh, and they really don't know what's going on uh, in in the world regarding these issues, but it's so important that we do. Because if we think that what is happening within the boundaries of the US have no relevance to what's happening internationally, it's like trying to win a battle with your best arm tied behind your back. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's really important to know this raging debate that's been going on for decades around the world, and as a result of the Dobbs decision, um, is newly, I would say, for the most part, newly being integrated into the de debate here in the United States. It's not that it was never a part of it, but not to the degree. And so um, many organizations are a little flat-footed because they don't know the tactics being used globally for decades for these for these same issues. So um, when we say there is no international right to abortion, those who would assert that there is point to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights where it says there is a right to life. Now think about this. They're saying that the right to abortion is quote unquote proven because there is a right to life. It is totally logically um, incompatible but, you know, um, if if honesty and 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 truth and understanding the intent of of documents no longer matter, you can rewrite history, you can rewrite intent and you can rewrite uh, statements that on a common sense level doesn't don't even need to be explained and yet it's on the basis of the right to life that they are asserting there is an international right to abortion. So we need to be um, schooled 
and we need to be prepared. And we need to know that when someone says, even if it's at the highest levels of U.S. government, that there is a uh, human right to abortion, we don't accept that. I so want to keep moving in this direction, but I'm going to postpone it for just a second because we've covered the first tenet, the second tenet. Can you just briefly reiterate the third and fourth? Because they are, as you've just said, they are all interrelated. Yeah. So just tell us quickly what the third and fourth ones are again. So the third one is that the family is foundational to every healthy society. So this is talking about family strengthening. This is talking about putting the family at the forefront of the health and continuation and flourishing of society, but also the health and thriving and flourishing of every member within a healthy family. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth, which I would assert really uh, is an overarching concept for uh, the other three is the rightful um, role of a sovereign nation to legislate to defend its people, to improve the outcomes uh, of its people, and to defend them from external assault. And, you know, a lot of countries have been under attack for so many years over those three previous uh, priorities of the GCD that it's important to reiterate how important and what a sovereign nation really can, should, and rightfully has the authority and the responsibility to do for its people. Can you give an example? I, I, don't, I think it's sometimes we, we, we think about that, violations of, of sovereignty, but uh, because we're so, as you, as you point out, we're so uh, focused on our own nation, what does that look like in, in another nation, let's say? Mm-hmm. Well, this is this has been very sobering for me, especially when I talk to other countries that are like-minded on the on those tenants of the GCD. And we talk about the pressure they've been enduring for many years. And Ellen, you and probably those who are are joining us would be as sad as I am when I hear countries saying, and you know. It's your country, the United States of America, that is the worst offender. Mm-hmm. Initially, when I was told that, and I was initially told that when I was in the U.S. government administration, I initially didn't, I thought there has to be more to this story. I can't imagine that my beloved nation would be doing what they were saying. But I heard a pattern over and over and over again. And since Uh, beginning the Institute, I've heard it even more so. And it looks like this, and it's not only the United States, but the United States is a world power. And there is a lot of clout that comes to that, comes with that. A lot of countries don't know the United States in any other way other than the ideological priorities that we export to them. Tying and preconditioning foreign assistance or other things that may not be monetary, but are very important to the country, we tie ideologies as a precondition to receiving those. So what does that look like? There may be funds, let's just go back to women's health. 
There may be funds that the United States government and, and taxpayers' hard-earned money are destined to go to help a country in the developing world to meet those women's health needs. But as a precondition of it, there are ideologies that are not only foreign to that country, but antithetical to their values, sometimes even their constitution. Hmm. And yet a, a leader is faced with this impossible decision to either accept the foreign assistance to be able to save their people in the areas that those the good parts of that foreign assistance is used for, but then also having to compromise their values and harm their people for those other reasons. Or they say no to the foreign assistance and their people suffer in some ways even more. Well, this is repeated ac- uh, around the world mostly from countries and organizations in the global north to countries in the global south. That is, uh, as you say, it's, it's astounding and it's sad. It's just sad that, uh, that any, uh, any nation would tie financial assistance to a, a country in need to foisting its ideology upon that nation, as you say, as a precondition. And, and Ellen, I had a recently had a conversation with uh, an ambassador that we are uh, hoping to work with this country like-minded and they've been under uh, uh, this kind of ideological assault for a long time and they're standing firm, but you know, it gets tiring and sometimes you feel like you're all alone and that's Mm -hmm. why the GCD is so important. So you don't have to stand alone. But he said, you know, when you come to our country, would you tell our people and our leaders that there are people like you in the United States that have these same values? Because most of the people in our country have never been to the U.S. They they only know the U.S. based on what is coming, but they haven't seen or heard from people like us who believe this, this for in the same values. And as you know, there are a lot of Americans. It's not like it's only the three of us. <laughs> yes. yes. Millions of Americans, but they don't know that. I, well, I think uh, I know, Valerie, you travel a lot. You travel quite extensively, not only in your prior role, but in your current role. Um, I think what we both know is that there are not just a lot of people in the United States. There are there is a global movement uh, that that continues to grow and is growing across countries where there has traditionally not even been a a uh, a like-minded movement. And I I know that uh, the the GCD is is not quote primarily a pro-life document um i uh i i am curious so as you know heartbeat has a network of pregnancy help centers organizations across the globe and um recently at a panel in which we both participated at the united nations where i first met you i my eyes my own eyes were kind of open to right this is how the global pregnancy help movement can really 
interface in some way with the GCD because the pregnancy help movement is not just about saving the lives of babies. It is about women, women's health, resourcing women uh, in their pregnancies. So tell us how, uh, number one, uh, how do you reach different countries so that the GCD, which currently has, I think, is it 36 signatories? All right, so they have 36 signatories. How do you reach other countries and how can the pregnancy help people engaged in the pregnancy help movement across the globe speak to their nations about the GCD? I'm so glad you asked that question. And I have to say, Ellen, when we first met at the United Nations, I didn't know that you or your work existed at Heartbeat. And so it was a really encouraging uh, for me as well. Uh, and just so you know, the Institute for Women's Health is not an organization that thinks they can do it all by themselves or mm -hmm. even wants to. You know, if you if you look at those who are working against authentic health gains for for women, and who are are um, asserting the the dignity of every human life, um, those who are working against those priorities are very good at mobilizing every single like-minded effort. And we're not necessarily as, as good at that. So the, the prospect of work, of joining uh, with your network and our network is very exciting to me. So let me share just in very practical ways uh, how your network and, and the Institute can work together to further the GCD. Two of our goals this year is to grow the size and the influence of GCD nations. And those are two separate goals. Uh, growing the size, let's, let's put that aside for a moment and talk about growing the influence. There are 36 nations all across the world, very different geopolitically, very different culturally and religiously. And some of those countries don't even like one another very well, but it's on these particular issues that they are aligned they are under constant attack for being members of the GCD, not only by the US, though very much by the US, but also by the EU, by international organizations, and the list goes on and on. Then when you talked about uh, the, the amount of, of appreciation that is shown to them for being members of the GCD, you hear crickets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there needs to be not just once, but continuing appreciation to the governments of each of those countries in the GCD. And, and if you go on our website, uh, the IWH.org and go to work we endorse, you can read the GCD and you can see all the countries that are members. I would encourage your network, if they are working in any of those countries to send a formal letter of appreciation to the leader of that nation and to uh, any of the relevant ministers that are responsible. And it's usually the minister of health or minister of women, minister of foreign affairs. If they have minister of health, minister, minister of foreign affairs um, and minister of women or families, it depends what country it looks like, mm -hmm. but then definitely also the leader of the nation. They also have networks. It doesn't need to just be from the name of their organizations. They could have a groundswell of others 
in that country that send independent letters, not photocopies of the same letter. This needs to be viral and it needs to be individual. Sure, it's easier to send uh, one letter with 35 uh, other organizations on it, and that's okay, but it's not as powerful. Mm-hmm. And this could be an annual or semi-annual event. Whenever there's, there is a reason uh, for news in that country that it makes, it makes sense, like let's say they stood up against something in their, uh, maybe even in their parliament or that the president or the prime minister said something that's consistent with those values, just send off a quick, hey, thank you for making that statement and thank you for standing for the values of your people by being a part of the GCD coalition. That's the first thing. Um, Then how do we grow the number? Well, I would say this next thing is both for goal number one, growing the number, and number two, growing the influence. There is a website, uh, Friends of the GCD, and the uh, URL for that is pretty simple. It's just thegcd.world. And on there, there is an opportunity for civil society, for medical professionals, for members of parliament, uh, other influencers in the country to either publicly say thank you, Although I wouldn't say that the website is um, is another option. This is in addition to, it's not an either or. But uh, in the United States, members of Congress entered a bicameral resolution for the last two years, thanking the members for being members of the Geneva Consensus Declaration and showing support for those pillars. And this last year also asked President Biden to rejoin the coalition. Well, that's something that any country can do. Perhaps your network has has members of parliament or members of Congress that are are working alongside their efforts, are supportive. Plant those recommendations to them. And then when they take place, whether it's a resolution or a joint letter by members of Congress, not only introduce it in the country, but put it on this website because it is it is an opportunity to show support for the GCD and just be creative. I mean, I've just mentioned what four things. There are other things that they know within their network. And then if I can just close the this question by saying those who are are purveyors of death in those countries, are very good at not only doing their primary mission, but also promoting ideologies, promoting agendas. We are often very, very focused on our primary mission, which is a good thing, but we are undervaluing and not recognizing the influence to have a broader impact, not just for that one person we might be meeting with or that group, but for the entire nation. And I would just encourage that network and those people and those organizations to realize that they really have a responsibility to be faithful in the small and then also to use that with wisdom 
to influence the nation. Well, Valerie, uh, what you are doing, what you um, are hoping to see changed is mighty, but it's hard. I know. <laughs> so tell us what motivates you. What, what motivates you to do the hard day after day? Well, it is true. I think it's what motivates all of us. And it's that, that missional calling on our lives and that uh, we have been given opportunities that if we are going to be faithful to those calls, we can't turn our backs on it. And that's what motivates me. I mean, let's be frank. When I left the administration, I had offers for easy jobs, better pay, and uh, without any of the stress. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And people would say, why would you say no to those things to do something where you have to raise money, where you have the ire of those who are working contrary, uh, you know, focused on uh, to stop your efforts. And it's because we must, Mm -hmm. And you know, Thinking of working together, uh, we want to add, uh, and I say we, it's not us that adds this. The Secretariat of the Geneva Consensus Declaration is the government of Hungary, but we're working alongside. And we would like to see four more countries join the GCD yet this year. And so think of your network. Perhaps they have the favor of the king. That they know the president, they know a minister, they know someone who is very, very close to one of those. Mm-hmm. If they can introduce us and make those connections, they could be instrumental in a in a whole nation being able to defend these values and to see our shared mission for women, girls, and the humanity in that nation go to a new level. So, uh, you know, there are, there are ways that we can be faithful that sometimes we haven't even considered because you're right. We all are trying to stuff uh, 85 hours in an 80 hour week Mm -hmm. and we have to make priorities. And it's not saying we put aside something and something else. It's being sensitized to those opportunities that are already before us, but we didn't know what to do with them. Well, uh, Valerie, I want to thank you for your time and, and thank you for your heart. Uh, as you know, the, the, uh, our mission at Heartbeat is to reach, renew, and, or to reach, rescue, and renew um, uh, women in unplanned pregnancies. And uh, we ultimately, our, our hope is for a renewed and transformed society and culture around the world. And so uh, to the extent that we are able to partner with you and to, um, to be the Esters and to raise up the Esters uh, across the globe, uh, we want to do that. And uh, we thank you for being an Esther as well and for um, being alive in this hour and doing the thing that you are doing in this hour. Uh, May it truly be for the transformation of our culture and our society. 
thank you so much for your time. And uh, if I may, I want to pray for you because uh, I want you to have stamina to go the distance in this marathon that God has called you to. So, Father, we just pray for Valerie. We thank you for the Institute for Women's Health and all that it is doing around the globe, Lord, to advance um, women's health, women's lives, um, Father, to live uh, in abundance. Lord, we uh, thank you for the hard places that the Institute for Women's Health uh, is Uh, for the countries uh, that have signed on, for the countries that can resist signing on, Lord. Um, We know, Lord, that ultimately um, you will have your way for your glory and for the life of every uh, woman, every child, every family, Lord, uh, that you might be glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Valerie, thank you. Thank you both. I am so glad that you two met and made this connection so that we can share this with our listeners. I know it was a lot of new information for me, and I hope that a lot of listeners take advantage of those action items. I think those are all very doable. So I will drop links to the websites that you mentioned into the notes so that people just have that to click on. Um, and, you know, hopefully we see a lot of good fruit coming from those opportunities. So, uh, you know, with that, of course, we want listeners to subscribe. And we just thank everyone for listening to this episode of the Pregnancy Help Podcast.